Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 127 of the John Riley Project. Today is Friday, April 17th, 2020. Man, these days, they all kind of blend together. Fridays, Sundays, Tuesdays, you don't, you get them all mixed up. Um, but anyway, so uh, yeah, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And we're going to talk about bunch of things. I'm going to kind of get into these shelter in place protests that are going on. Want to give you some updates on some of these stimulus packages that are being handed out and want to get into the um, uh, the angels program that's going on here in Poway. Hopefully we'll have enough time to get to that as well. Angels will help. That's a, a new program here. So, man, there's just a lot going on. So, you know, uh, just want to kick it off by saying, you know, when is this going to end? I mean, we don't really know when this is going to end. You, know, you tend to get cues from different people and places, and sometimes politicians will hint at things. You know, my daughter works for a large financial services company, and they are in shelter in place, um, and their shelter in place for their employees has been extended now through June 1st. Um, it's a really large financial company, so they're very much in touch with what the, what's going on around the world. So we know that we're going to probably be in this this uh, stay-at-home situation through at least the end of May, I think for most of us, and probably a lot longer. And that's why, you know, there's just been like these protests that are going on, and which I'm going to get into in a minute, but man, just this is just a crazy time. I mean, I think we're all going through it. We're, we're trying to figure it out. Um, but, you know, speaking of figuring things out, I want to, I want to get into these two stimulus programs. And I told you before that I'm going down the path of trying to get it organized for my small business. You know, the paycheck protection program, the SBA has their economic injury loan program. So I know that for individuals, many of you have already received a $1,200 payment. Some people are getting checks. Other people found a deposit directly into their checking account. So if you got that, you know, good for you. Um, but clearly that's very little. And, you know, $1,200, I mean, in California, well, you know, that'll last you a few days. I mean, it certainly won't be able to pay your rent for most of us. Um, so, I'm going down a different path. I mean, on an individual basis, I'm ineligible. Um, but from a business perspective, I own a small business. Um, I am trying to take advantage of the programs that exist. Um, and one of them is the SBA program, Economic Injury Loan Update. I applied for that on March 30th, and I still haven't heard back from them. But it appears that if I am funded, that um, I will be able to get $1,000 per employee. And there are two two employees in my company. And so potentially $2,000, we'll see. But, you know, of course, the purpose of these programs is to try to help you retain your employees so you're not actually, um, you know, laying them off or firing them, et cetera. Um, and apparently, according to the SBA, these apps are being done on a first-come, first-served basis, and I really have no idea if I'm going to get funded. Um, and then the Paycheck Protection Program, I, I went into the detail of that in the last podcast where I had my frustration with Wells Fargo. You know, it was on um, – what was it? It would be the 27th, Friday, the 27th of March in the, in the evening. They turned on their website to take applications. Over the weekend, the, the applications were just overloading their servers. I went to apply on that Monday, the 30th, and they were shut down. They said, we have no more. Uh, we're not taking any more applications. And even the applications we have will exceed the amount of money we're given. And then I later found out that the government wasn't giving very much money to Wells Fargo in the first place, even though they're one of the largest banks in America. They weren't giving them very much money because Wells Fargo had committed, you know, some of the uh, fake accounts and there were some other egregious things that they had done. And the government was penalizing Wells Fargo. But really what that ended up doing was penalizing people like me that are customers of Wells Fargo. And you could probably say, well, I could go get this, um, you know, paycheck protection program. I could apply at other banks, but these other banks were only taking their current customers. I've been banking with Wells Fargo for over 20 years. So I 
needed to go through them if I have a chance of getting it. And and I was shut down on, on the 30th of March. And then about a week later, they were they allowed me to put my name in the hat and contact information. And then finally, on Wednesday, which yeah, today's the 17th, right? So on Wednesday, the 15th, I was actually able to apply for the Paycheck Protection Program. And it looks like that will be worth about two and a half months of salary. Um, again, I had to put in all of my financial data for my business, my my revenue, my all my payroll numbers. That's what they were really interested in. Um, going back from January thirty first backwards a full year. Um, so went through that, jumped through all the hoops, got everything submitted, and now I'm just going to wait. But now, again, we're hearing more reports that they're running out of money. Um, and, you know, there's there everyone, there's this big battle about, you know, where's the money going to come from? The money has been spent. And it's amazing because for, and I've commented on this, the large corporations, they're getting huge money and the lobbyists are involved there. That's where, you know, President Trump has got his $500 billion slush fund. He can pick winners and losers. Um, other large companies are going to see huge bailouts. But for little guys like us, we have to scrap and claw and try to figure out how this is all working. And so... Um, yeah, so now these programs are running out of money. So I have my two applications in, and there's no guarantee I'm going to see anything. You know, so yeah, that's hard, you know, for a small business, and I'm struggling to get through this. I've lost business as a result of this. Now, thankfully, my business hasn't been shut down by the government. I'm still able to service many of my clients, but I've already seen some of my projects get postponed, delayed, in some cases, flat out cut. So um, I'm feeling it as well. Um, but anyways, this article from Reuters, I want to read it to you. And it says, and this is interesting how it all gets so politicized. So its title is, Republicans warn that the coronavirus aid is running out of cash. Democrats favor the $250 billion infusion, but I guess this is for additional money. This is the second trough of it, but want broader legislation that would ensure Paycheck Protection Program, PPP financing for minority owned and rural businesses and add assistance for hospitals and state and local governments and the poor. Republicans oppose the Democratic measure because the Republicans just say, why are you putting on these conditions? It should just be available to everybody, um, to all businesses. Um, and this quote from uh Pelosi from the Speaker of the House, we cannot accept Leader McConnell's proposals that would only perpetuate the flaws that are threatening the survival of the most vulnerable businesses and would do nothing to aid desperate hospitals and state and local governments, she said in a letter to Democratic lawmakers. Pelosi, the top Democrat in the House of Representatives, also called on the Federal Reserve to allow nonprofit groups, including colleges and universities, access to a lending facility intended to help businesses cope with the coronavirus outbreak. She said larger institutions, including those that serve minorities, are being excluded from the Fed's $600 billion Main Street lending facility. So, okay, how do, how do you break all this down? First of all, if they're going to offer a a kind of a stimulus or actually a bailout to businesses, it should be for all businesses. And yeah, we can we can uh, go through and jump through hoops and show the numbers, and based on those numbers, then they can determine how much we're eligible for. I get it. Obviously, businesses should not be excluded because they're nonprofits or because they're minority owned or whatever. I mean, clearly. But it's interesting how it this all becomes politicized, where people are trying to help the most vulnerable. Well, yeah, sure, we do need to help the most vulnerable, but not at the expense of everybody else. Instead, all the businesses should be treated the same, um, rather than trying to lift up some and not others. And that's the thing that I'm going through, where my business – um, who knows if I'm going to see any of this, but I've got to play the game. I, I don't agree with these proposals. I don't agree with this massive bailout, these huge handouts, but I would be foolish not to get in line. I mean, after all, they take my money every um, every paycheck, every April 15th, I'm paying through the nose for these taxes. So I have to, it's in my own rational self-interest to take advantage of this, but I have no idea if I'm going to make it, if I don't know if I'm going to 
be able to uh, get any of this cash that's coming because they're already running out. Even though I applied really the next business day when it became available on Wells Fargo. Um, so the whole thing is crazy. So I, I'm still going through this. I'm going to continue to give you updates to let you know, because I'm sure many of you that are employees of companies, you know, if you're going to get a $1,200 check or not. But maybe you don't know what some small businesses are going through and what it's like for the programs that are available to them and whether or not they'll qualify. But I'm pretty much one of the smallest small businesses. I mean, myself and one other employee. That's it. Um, So we'll see how this all sorts out. Hey, want to give a shout out to our sponsor, PowayStore.com. Uh, why don't you swing on out there? They, they just developed this new T-shirt celebrating Twin Peaks. Uh, you know, the Twin Peaks, um, I guess you call it a mountain in Poway. Uh, so got a great T-shirt design that's been built there. They've also got neck gaiters that you can also use as a mask when you're walking around town, you know, to substitute for a medical mask. And some of these um, neck gaiters or facial masks look like Lake Poway or look like Iron Mountain. They're actually foot, foot, high quality photographs that I've seen that have been put onto these neck gaiters. So they're really cool. And there's all a bunch of other things. There's uh, glassware and uh, sweatshirts all celebrating Poway, the city in the country. So go check them out at PowayStore.com. And as long as you're checking things out, hey, why don't you join our mailing list here for the John Riley Project? Go to JohnRileyProject.com slash subscribe. Get on our mailing list. We'll send you updates about this podcast, some of the things that are happening behind the scenes. But we invite you to, if you're interested in more, we can share more. So join our mailing list, please. Okay, so let's get into the um, the protests about the shelter in place initiative. And we're seeing a, a lot going on. I mean, it's, it's happening in Raleigh, North Carolina. We saw protests in Lansing, Michigan. I saw protests just today in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So people are starting to kind of push back on this sort of thing. And here, I'll read this from the Raleigh News Observer. More than 100 protesters rallied in downtown Raleigh to reopen North Carolina on Tuesday, um, describing Governor Roy Cooper's stay-at-home order as an unconstitutional overreach that will kill the state's small businesses. And at least one protester, Monica Faith Usri, of 51 years old, of Holly Springs, North Carolina, was charged with violating the executive order. Um, This is incredible. So now, obviously, there's a lot of people that are pissed. There's a lot of people that are upset. There's a lot of people that think their constitutional, you know, guaranteed liberties, in fact, our own inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are being violated. And there's no question that's happening. Uh, People are being restricted. Businesses are being shut down by government. People are not able to freely move uh, because of government laws and police action. Now, granted, it is a pandemic and we can make a rational um, point for a lot of this uh, control of society, but there should really be no question that these rights are being violated. I mean, it's, it's, on its face, it's a clear violation of those rights. And some people are downright angry and they're frustrated because these people are probably out of work or maybe they're small business owners that have seen their business shut down. But what got even nuts is that the Raleigh police, you know, are in there kind of trying to control it. And they issued a tweet that said, protesting is a non-essential activity. And I'm like thinking, oh my God, I mean, Protesting is part of what makes America special. It's built into our First Amendment, into our Bill of Rights, our ability to address government and to call them out for, you know, any, um, you know, policies that are harming or damaging people. We have that right to protest as long as we're doing it peacefully. Uh, But now the police are basically saying it doesn't apply because it's non-essential. And they're using that as an excuse to override our civil liberties. It reminded me of like the photograph. Remember in Tiananmen Square in China, this is, gosh, how long ago was that? Maybe 20 years ago where the tanks were rolling in and there was that one protester standing by himself in front of the tanks. Um, You know, it's kind of reminds you of that. I mean, to agree, that's an extreme example, but To say that protesting is non-essential 
is just mind-blowing coming from a government official. And it's not just one guy randomly saying it. This was an official tweet from the city of Raleigh, North Carolina's police department. And I'm going to link um, the article and um, this tweet in the show notes if you want to check it out. But yeah, wow. Um, And then Lansing, Michigan, and we've been seeing a lot going on there, um, especially with the governor, because, you know, the governor there, she's, I think her last name is Whitmer, and she's potentially, you know, being considered as a vice presidential candidate. So it makes it all the more interesting. But here was an article that was in NPR, and I want to read a few elements of this that I think are important. So several thousand cars flooded the streets around the state capitol in Lansing, Michigan on Wednesday to protest the governor's extended stay at home order. Cars jammed the streets around the capitol building, filling the air with a cacophony of honking. People draped in American and don't tread on me flags blared. We're not going to take it. And God bless the USA out of their car stereo. So I can just picture it. Just a bunch of these Murica guys, you know, like Tea Party rally people are out there, but they're firing up Twisted Sister, which I think is great. So we're not going to take it from Twisted Sister. And then of course, Lee Greenwood, God bless the USA. And then back to the article, the, the protest called Operation Gridlock was organized by Michigan Conservative Coalition and drew out militias, conservatives, small business owners, and ardent supporters of President Trump who characterized the governor's stay-at-home order as an unjust power grab. So, yeah, these are the the characters you would expect to see out there. Not unlike, you know, some of the the Trump supporters that are out here in Poway every um, Sunday morning on the corner of Pomerado and Twin Peaks Road. Um, Back to the article. Um, Here she is. Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer has faced a steady drumbeat of criticism from senior Republican leaders in the state legislature and Republican um, um, and Republican members of Michigan's congressional delegation after extending her original order last week. And she's not only getting protests from the Republican um, congressional delegation, but also from independent congressman Justin Amash, who we love talking about here on the John Riley Project. Uh, the article goes on, the new version of the order banned travel between homes and didn't grant exemptions for workers such as landscapers who politicians argue can work while remaining socially distant. Protesters are also upset that normal life has been shut down all around the state. And yeah, I mean, like a, a landscaper is mowing a lawn or, you know, they're they're not in a group of people. They're not you know, people in a six foot radius. I mean, usually these are guys that are kind of all alone, very separated from their team. And then as of Monday, more than a quarter of the state's workforce has filed for unemployment benefits. A quarter of the workers in Michigan. I mean, that's just amazing. And and just recently, another four million filed for unemployment. Last I checked, it was 16 million in the United States filed for unemployment benefits in the first three weeks. And then last week, another 4 million. So we're up to like 20 million. So that works out to what, maybe 15 to 20% unemployment rate, which is just mind blowing. I mean, the Great Depression, I think, was about 25%. And then that's what they're experiencing in Michigan. A quarter of the state's workforce has filed for unemployment benefits. So, wow. Now, what wasn't mentioned in the article besides, you know, the travel between homes, because, you know, some people in Michigan might have a cabin in northern Michigan or in the Upper Peninsula. They can't travel from one home to the other. They can't, you know, some of these professions can't work. But what wasn't mentioned in the article by NPR was some of the additional regulations that were put in place. No gatherings of any people who are not part of a single household. So if you wanted to have another family member that wasn't part of your household, you couldn't meet with them. Um, You couldn't meet with your neighbor next door. Um, that's how stringent the rules have been put put in Michigan. Large stores can admit only four customers for every thousand square feet of customer floor space. Okay, we're we're kind of seeing that in California too. I've noticed that lines are lining up in front of stores, in front of banks to limit the number of people in the in the facility. 
That kind of makes sense. But they go further in Michigan. They said, and hardware stores and home repair stores must close all areas dedicated to carpeting, flooring, furniture, garden centers, plant nurseries, or paint. Like, really? Why should those areas be closed off? And that's just nonsense. And especially if you're stuck in your home. If you wanted to then suddenly start working on home improvement projects, maybe you wanted to paint a bedroom, you can't buy the paint. Um, if you if you're concerned about your access to food and maybe you want to plant a garden, you don't have a- no access to the garden center. I've seen stores where the seed section is, is shut off. It's illegal to buy those products. I'm thinking this is nuts. Now, obviously, a home center provides necessary things, essential products, because you know if you have something that breaks in your house, you should be able to repair it. But it said all areas dedicated to carpeting, flooring, furniture, garden centers, plant nurseries, or paint must be completely closed. Like, oh my God. And then no to motorboat or jet ski use. You get up into Michigan, there are a lot of lakes up there. And if you're on a jet ski, that's you are socially distant. You're out there by yourself on a lake and no motorboat use. I mean, what if you're in a little like um, a dinghy with an outboard engine? You just want to go fishing and you're by yourself. Why is that against the law in Michigan? I mean, this is going way too far, in my opinion. Um, the San Jose Mercury News also had an article about what's happening in Michigan. And it's an interesting quote. Um, this guy said, it's taking a sledgehammer to an ant. David Helm, an attorney of the four, um, told a Detroit TV station, we believe it is overbroad and overreaching. There is a way to do it appropriately without infringing on constitutional rights like the governor has. And I totally agree. I mean, this is I mean, we can. We can manage the pandemic. We can do what we can to not put other people's health at risk and do it in a way that still is consistent with our rights. It's not an either or. There is a middle ground here, and it's just being flat out shut down by various governors and um, various locales. Now, the politics are in play here significantly because Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer um, is In Michigan, which is one of the three Midwest states usually won by Democrats that Trump won in 2016. Remember, there were those four Rust Belt states that Trump flipped. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And those four, Trump won by razor-thin margins. And so any loss of support in those states could completely flip the 2020 election in November. Um, so the, the states of Michigan here, in this case, is a very important state to pay attention to. And then, of course, um, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, is being considered as a possible vice presidential pick by the Democratic nominee, Joe Biden. So her her moves as governor are going to be closely watched as she goes through this. And then in Minneapolis, you know, there was a huge protest today in front of the governor's mansion. And it's the same crowd. You know, it's the same Murica people with the American flags and the, you know, the the um, Gadsden flag, the you know yellow and black don't tread on me. And there's a big group of people and they are all, you know, tightly bunched up along the road, totally violating the six foot distance rule. Um, but they're out there fighting for their freedoms. And. It's something. And then, you know, President Trump is is throwing gas on the fire. He's been tweeting, you know, things like liberate Minnesota. That's a Trump tweet said that liberate Minnesota. So he's trying to fire up his people to keep that support in those states because he knows how important and precious those Midwestern states are to his future to win a second term. Um, So it's something. Uh, This whole thing is something because. All these people have different motivations. Um, Politics plays a role in this. Civil liberties plays a role. Economics and, of course, health, public health plays a role in all of this. So we tried to cover a lot of this in the previous podcast I did with Pete Neald over Zoom, where we talked about liberty versus the shelter in place initiative. And this was in the early stages of it. 
And now people are getting more angry with it. But I still, you know, in, in that podcast, I remember saying that I believe it's important for liberty from a liberty perspective, from an individual rights perspective. It's not all about your liberty. I mean, your liberty is important. I'm not saying that it's not. But you also have to protect the liberty of other people. You have to protect the inalienable rights of others. You can't violate their rights. So um, I I personally practice shelter in place and it's working for me because it's in my own rational self-interest to not be out and about. Now, granted, I'm in my 50s and people under the age of 50, you can see that their infection rate is is significantly lower. When you get into your 50s, it takes a pretty good jump up. But when you get your 60s, 70s and 80s, it skyrockets up in terms of the likelihood of getting the virus. So I practice shelter in place for my own self-interest and for my family's self-interest. And I also don't want to go out in public and unknowingly infect other people because that would violate their rights. Um, so I'm trying to be respectful of that. Um, I go. The only time I really ever go out is when I go on my daily walks um, and then I'm by myself or with my dog. Um, and then I will sometimes go out shopping. And yesterday I went to Costco. But while I was out, I wore a mask and I kept my distance from people in the store. And I minimize that because I don't want to unknowingly violate the rights of other people by infecting them because maybe I have the virus, but maybe I'm asymptomatic. I don't know because we don't have testing. And that's why testing is so important. We need it. I also have a theory because there are some people saying that maybe they had COVID much earlier. Well, in February, I had some kind of kick-ass flu that knocked me out. And I exhibited many of the symptoms of this COVID epidemic Without, I didn't have the, the trouble breathing, but almost all the other symptoms I experienced, and it was a flu like I can't remember having. I mean, the headaches I had were probably the worst headaches I've ever had in my life. Um, it makes me wonder if maybe I had it, maybe now I'm immune, but I don't know because I haven't been able to take the test. And I talked to my doctor about it, and she thought, you know, she of course, she wasn't certain, but she didn't think that the COVID virus really was in California until March. But we know the COVID virus was in the state of Washington in January. Could it have been in, in uh, California in February? I think it's certainly possible, but we just don't know. Um, but, you know, again, I practice shelter in place. And for me, it's easy. I have the advantage that I am an entrepreneur. I work from my house. So it's not like I got to commute. I don't have to go in the office where other people are. I can work from home. And I'm thankful for that. Um, so it hasn't been that big of an impact in my life. You know, some people have joked, like, for those of us that work from home, it's like shelter in place. It's just like same day, different story. Uh, not exactly true, but there's a little bit of truth to that. So I'm, I'm personally happy to voluntarily participate in helping flatten the curve. And like I said in, in that previous podcast, I'm doing it for my own selfish interests, but I'm also doing it to protect the rights of other people around me. Um, but it makes you wonder, is flattening the curve really the objective any longer? That's what the, the politicians said from the very beginning is that we needed to flatten the curve so that our hospitals aren't overwhelmed. And because um, if we let it spike, you know, there'll be far more death, far more of an overwhelming of the healthcare system. Um, but now it seems like maybe they've moved the goalposts. Is flattening the curve really the goal? It seems like we have been flattening the curve. And certainly in California, we're doing a lot better at it than in other states. Um, and different areas in California have been doing better. And we're even seeing the data here in San Diego County, different cities and different zip codes are doing better than others. But now what is the objective? You know, I, I don't know if they've been really clear on that. In the beginning, it was definitely flatten the curve. But now what's the objective? Is it to keep everyone safe? Is it to protect everyone from getting this coronavirus? Because at some point, we're all going to get it. Um, the question is, is by flattening the curve, it just extends the time that it's going to take for all of us to get it. Um, 
And then part of the rationale is, is that, you know, they, they don't want the hospitals to be overwhelmed. And definitely in New York City, hospitals are overwhelmed. But here at Kaiser Permanente in San Diego County, the hospital there built this big tent in the parking lot. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think that's really being used much at all. Um, Palomar Hospital in Escondido had cleared space for COVID patients, had denied elective surgeries. And then suddenly now they have no work to do and they laid off a whole bunch of nurses and other healthcare professionals. So it's making me wonder, well, we're flattening the curve, but maybe are we getting too aggressive um, to the point where the risk of overwhelming our healthcare system isn't really even in play any longer? I mean, I don't know this data. I don't know all of the information, but it just makes me wonder um, what exactly is the objective right now? Now, at some point, I've always said at some point, people will begin to outright defy the orders. I mean, some people are outright defying it today. And there we have some interesting conversations in um, some of our Facebook groups here in Poway, in the Poway Underground group in particular, where there is one person, I won't call him out by name, but he is a bold, you know, boldly defying the orders. And that causes all kinds of disruption and upsets inside that uh, social media forum. It's it's something. Um, But uh, I think if we keep people cooped up in their homes, if we have a great degree of fear um, that is coming to people because of this virus, if we're in this massive economic crisis, I mean, at some point, Some people are going to snap. Some people are going to begin to more aggressively defy the orders. And that's what we saw in Raleigh, North Carolina, in Lansing, Michigan, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I mean, some because what's happening is, is that in some cases they're going too far. I mean, in Encinitas, there are people that are parked in their car that are parked not in a parking lot that's been closed down, but parked near the beach, just there to watch the sunset. And the police are coming and writing citations, giving them tickets, a fine they have to pay. Um, That's just crazy. Now, some people are saying that all of this is necessary. We have to clamp down on people's rights because, you know, we, we have to control this epidemic, but they throw out all of our civil liberties in the process. Some people think, well, this is where the 10th Amendment applies, where it's up to the states and the people to make their own rules. But the 10th Amendment says that you can only, that's only for items that are outside the scope of the federal charter in, in, um, that's outlined in the Constitution. Well, the First Amendment is still in the Constitution. Our right to freely assemble is still in the Constitution. So what's the solution? It's, this isn't easy. There's no obvious answer. But sometimes it's being framed where it's a false choice. It's like on one hand, you people are saying, you want people to die so you can open up the economy. <laughs> you want them to die. You know, so this heavy, heavy uh, moral, you know, sort of upper hand um, knocking people down. You want people to die so you can how Wall Street come back. So you big corporations can go back in business and you want them to die. And then there's people on the other end that are saying, you want the economy to die so you can save all these people. And so again, it's a moral argument. It's 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 being presented as either or. And I think that's a false choice because I think there is a middle ground. Now, one place to keep an eye on is Sweden. And we always hear about our progressive friends always hearken to Sweden as a, as a, um, a culture, a, a society, a political structure that we should all embrace. Um, but what are they doing with this COVID-19 outbreak? They're not having the heavy-handed um, uh, approach that we see here in the United States. They're doing something very different. They're isolating old people and then letting younger people develop a herd immunity. Um, which is interesting. Now, I don't understand the full science of that, um, but what 
they're they're trying to do is allow young people to get it, and then as they get the virus, they begin to develop immunity, and as more and more people in the herd develop immunity, it ends up protecting larger groups of people. And the older people are the ones that are truly at risk, so they are isolated from this. So keep an eye on Sweden and see what their hospitalization rates and death rates are per capita compared to the United States. Um, There's also another approach that we could, if we could find out who actually has the virus, whether they are symptomatic or asymptomatic, we could quarantine them. And that would still be consistent within our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, because if they are infected, they have the ability to be infecting other people. Just like a person with a gun could be shooting a gun um, at others and potentially harming a person that has the virus, has um, the ability to be infecting others. Those are the people that need to be controlled and quarantined for a period of time. But everyone else could be free to live their life. That's another approach that could be um, that could be considered. And then at what point do we just simply let people make decisions for themselves? Like, for example, I said I went to Costco. I was wearing a mask. I was looking around. Probably about 95% of the people in the store were wearing masks. Masks weren't mandatory. I think they're only encouraged. So if, if, if there is, um, you know, I, I see people practicing social distancing as well. When people are out walking on the streets, people are clear to be separate. And if people run into others they meet, they stand a very far distance away. And I did that. I ran into one of my neighbors here in Poway and we met on the sidewalk and we probably talked to each other, but we were like 10 to 12 feet apart from each other. Um, so people are practicing physical distancing, social distancing, shelter in place, wearing masks, and they're doing it voluntarily. So at what point do we simply say, well, people can make decisions on their own? Um, and then you look at this and, and – obviously a huge economic cost to this. We've already talked about the unemployment rate and the bailouts. I mean, it's just insane. But government in some cases is shutting down businesses, telling them it's illegal for them to go in, to be in business. You know, restaurants and bars, unless they're doing takeout, that it's illegal for them. I, I question that. I understand the reason for it. I understand why they don't want people to be hanging out in restaurants and grouped in tables. And I understand that. But if the government is f- coercively forcing these businesses to shut down, isn't that a violation of our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Especially when we know lots of people are going to – in fact. If the Costco example is any is, is indicative, 95% of the people wearing masks, maybe even more than that. I think I only saw like one or two people not wearing masks in the whole store. They happened to be a couple. They were together. Everyone else was wearing masks. So it's okay, in my opinion, if the government encourages businesses to change their practice, to encourage restaurants to just do takeout, but to forcibly re, um, refuse them the ability to have any other kinds of services, to forcibly shut down certain businesses, to me, that's that's a step too far. Um, you know, and I'm all about encouraging entrepreneurism and, I, and obviously safe entrepreneurism, but it's hard for, you know, a person like me that wants to encourage liberty, encourage free market, free enterprise to on, at the same time see government actively shutting it down. Those two don't go together and it really raises the hair up on the back of my neck. Government shouldn't be arresting people or citing people as well. They, I mean, if a police officer sees the, a couple watching a sunset at the beach um, in their car then they shouldn't be given a citation. The police officer should tell them, would you please move along? Would you please go home? If he sees a group of people on the beach, he shouldn't be arresting them or giving them citations. He should be asking them to go their separate ways and using good leadership, but peaceful leadership, not leadership that is going to be heavy handed. That's going to be draconian. Um, So, 
I think government has a role to play in this, no doubt. I mean, obviously, if people are infected, they need to be quarantined if we know that so that they don't infect others. Um, but if people are not infected, they sh- it's you they really shouldn't be having their rights diminished like this. Um, yeah, so to me, people are so worried about the economy and how damaging that is. To me, the, more, the higher concern is the violation of our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is what this podcast, by the way, is all about. And we're seeing that those rights being shut down. So if the government uses the bully pulpit to lead, I think that's great. If they are showing people the best way to conduct themselves, but not doing it in that draconian, heavy-handed fashion, I think it's fantastic. Educate people, encourage people to behave um, in a way that is respectful to those around them. And if others are actively damaging people, then definitely that's there's a role for government to play to shut that down. But if people aren't actively damaging others, government can play a role, but can do it with a much softer touch than what we're seeing. Now, the question I wonder about is when these um, are eventually lifted, when these ordinances are lifted, when the shelter in place goes away, do you think all of our rights and freedoms will be fully restored? See, I kind of doubt it. Um, I think each time these kinds of things happen, our liberties diminish. And we saw it after 9-11. After 9-11 now, look at all the hoops we have to jump through just to go on an airplane. Um, We go through the TSA line. I mean, to me, TSA is an outright violation of your Fourth Amendment rights. It's an illegal search and seizure. There is no warrant. There is no probable cause. Yet we have government officials that are actively, um, you know, making us run the gauntlet and are violating our physical person as we go through that. I think coming out of this COVID situation, we're going to see further diminishment of rights, further diminishment of civil liberties. And it's sad because there's been an ongoing erosion of a lot of our liberties. Free speech is under attack from both the left and the right. Religious freedom has been under attack. The right to keep and bear arms is constantly being uh, challenged and being chipped away. Um, are the, like I said, the Fourth Amendment rights of search and seizure constantly being attacked and chipped away. And the Tenth Amendment, where it's interesting, some people are invoking the Tenth Amendment as rationalization for these governors and these local officials to have heavy-handed approaches. But normally, the Tenth Amendment is just flat-out ignored by the federal government, which is another civil liberty that we're seeing diminish. So um, I'm concerned. So I, I do wonder, again, what is the goal? It used to be flattening the curve, but I'm not so sure that's the, the primary objective now. I'm wondering. It's kind of like the Afghanistan war. What's the mission? What's the objective? That has been wholly undefined, and that's why we've been in that crazy war for 20 years. What is the mission or the objective now? Um, is it to continue to flatten the curve? Is it to um, keep everyone safe? I mean, how— what, what is the objective? Now, obviously, scientists are going to do science. Scientists are going to be able to tell us when um, the situation is safer, but it's still not going to be absolute. It's still a judgment call um, because as we go down the backside of that slope of that flattening of the curve, how far down the backside of that slope do we begin opening up the rest of our economy? And even if we get the slope all the way back down to zero— Are they going to open up the rest of the economy? Because many people think it's going to come back again in the fall, coronavirus, and it's going to be even heavier. So I don't know. But what I do know is that it is unquestioned that our Bill of Rights, our civil liberties, our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are being outright violated. They are It's almost like they're being dismissed because of this pandemic, and most people are not fighting back. Now, we got some of these right-wingers that are protesting in some various cities. I think we're going to see more people protesting as this continues, Um, but we'll see. And I I do think there there is a middle ground here. It's not you want people to die (laughs) to save the economy versus you want the economy to die to save people. There is a way to protect people's rights 
while at the same time um, allowing regular life to kind of begin to come back and allowing our economy to come back. So I invite all kinds of your comments. Uh, you know, follow us on social media. Uh, John Riley Project Facebook group is always a fun place to visit. Uh, lots of comment, conversation there. I'm always active on Twitter. I even set up, by the way, I just did this for my last podcast, and I'll, I'll share this again. I set up a complaints page. So if you don't like what I'm talking about, I set up a complaints page. Go to johnreillyproject.com slash complaints. And there you can fill out a form and you tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me that I'm full of, you know what? And if, if you got a pretty good one, I'll read it in my next podcast. So let me know. Um, all right. I, I want to, yeah, we're at about 40, 45 minutes. We've got a little bit of time here. I want to talk about this new program here in the city of Poway introduced by our mayor, Steve Voss, and it's called angels will help. And this is an interesting, um, program that he put together. And I'll read a little bit from the article from our own Poway chieftain. Uh, Poway Mayor Steve Voss has launched a new initiative called Angels Will Help, intended to connect those wishing to help their fellow Powegians with, with community members in need of assistance. People willing to volunteer their time can print a simple form from Angels Will Help, fill it out, and leave it on the doorstep of their neighbor's homes. Those receiving a form can decide if they want to take up this offer for assistance. So this is great. So this is basically, you know, there are people that are older, people that are at risk, maybe people that have diminished immune systems that are scared, worried about going out in public, want to stay safe at home. They could use some help and maybe they don't know who to call or what to do. So this Angels Will Help is a really simple thing that Mayor Voss put together that is a flyer. People can leave it on a person's doorstep and, um, you know, volunteers can offer their services for tasks like picking up groceries and mail, running errands, making daily check-in calls to their vulnerable neighbors who might not be able to break quarantine due to their age or health issues. You know, there's a lot of people that are saying, how can I help? What can I do in our my community to help? This is a way. This is a way that people that are offering to help can connect with people that potentially may need help. Um, and yeah, there are other programs that are available to people in these crises that but sometimes people don't know about these other programs. But if you had a flyer on your welcome mat in front of your home that a neighbor left that said, hey, if you need someone to go to the grocery store, call me and I'll go do it for you. Um, so I think this is a really great program that Mayor Voss put together. It's voluntary. It's not funded by the city. It's a really simple thing. Angelswillhelp.com. It's just people helping people. Now, let's also be real. Mayor Voss is running for supervisor in the for the county of San Diego here in District 2. Now, he's got his own personal motivations. He, he's trying to get his message out. And if you see the flyer, it's, you know, indoor, not sponsored by, I think, um, Mayor Voss for uh, county supervisor. So his campaign, it's part of his campaign to help get his message out. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, obviously, he has his own motivation to win election in November. This is a way to not only get his name out, but get his name out with a program where people are helping people. And again, it's a really simple thing. It's just a website and a form, and people can voluntarily print the form and hand it out to their neighbors. So, yeah, he has his own motivation. So what? You know, you have your own motivations in life, and I have my own motivations in life. But in the end, this is just a way to connect people in need with people that are willing to help. So yeah, it's a, it's a campaign initiative and Mayor Voss himself, he's a promoter and it's kind of built into his DNA. So this is all consistent with that. I give, I give it big thumbs up. So Mayor Voss, good for you with angels will help. I give you a great support for that. So um, like I said, yeah, follow me on social media, John Riley project, Facebook page. I, I'll post it there. This episode I post there, I post it on YouTube there. You can check the comments. And I had some great conversations with one of our listeners um, about my uh, post post office private privatization um, podcast that we did earlier this week. 
So wonderful conversations with listeners. I encourage you to go out there and I'll engage with anybody um, if you want to continue the conversation on social media. I also post these episodes on Twitter. Uh, so I invite you to visit out there. And you can, like I said, you can subscribe to our mailing list. Go to johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. Um, I have two great quotes I want to share because I always close out these quote, um, these episodes with a, with a quote. The first one's from Bob Marley. And um, love Bob Marley. And he says, better to die fighting for freedom than be a prisoner all the days of your life. And this is an interesting one. Now, we can break this down in a couple of different ways. Now, obviously, there's the higher purpose of freedom as opposed to being in shackles. You know, this idea of you know, better to die fighting for freedom than be a prisoner all the days of your life. Maybe some of us feel like prisoners. We're in shelter in place. You know, we're out of our home rarely. Maybe we feel like prisoners, but it's better to die fighting for freedom is what he says. Now, the cruel, ironic angle to this is, is that by some of these people out there fighting for freedom, those protesters that we saw in Minneapolis and in Lansing, Michigan and in Raleigh, North Carolina, they're not abiding by the six foot rule. They are putting themselves at risk and they may actually die fighting for their freedom, um, which is the, the cruel irony of all this. So, But it's still a great quote. So better to die fighting for freedom than to be a prisoner all the days of your life from Bob Marley. There's one other great one from Nelson Mandela. For to be free is not, in, is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedoms of others. This is exactly what I was telling Pete Neal in our previous podcast, uh, Liberty versus Shelter in Place. I mentioned it earlier in this podcast. When we're thinking about liberty, thinking about freedom, it's not all about you. It's not just about your liberty, your freedom. It's also about protecting the liberty and freedom of others, protecting the individual rights of others. So when you go out in public, wear a mask. Maintain the six-foot distance rule. Be respectful from, of others. Minimize going out into public during a pandemic. You know, protect yourself, but also try to protect those around you. And do it of your own free will, you know. And um, I think that is the right balance. Um, Nelson Mandela, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedoms of others. So, wow. Two final quotes, Bob Marley, Nelson Mandela. Wow. Um, this is the John Riley Project. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, Friday the 17th. I normally say happy Friday, but it doesn't really mean as much anymore because Fridays just don't feel like Fridays anymore. But anyway, still happy Friday. Hope you have a great day. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope you enjoy your time with your family and loved ones. And we'll catch you later with another episode. This is episode number 127. Thanks for visiting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And be safe out there, friends. We'll see you. Bye-bye.